0: if you are someone who does believe, who claims to be a follower of Jesus, then what you are going to hear Paul say in these next verses is actually a non-negotiable. And what it is that we're reading are ways that you can hold up the realities of the decisions of your everyday life You could hold it up against the realities of the kind of life that God has made a difference in. Does that make sense? So then the question is what difference does God make? Because that is the premise of this whole series and our talk for today. And today we're going to look at really the first two things that Paul says is different in the life of those who follow Jesus. Now, full transparency, I was hoping to cover a lot more text tonight. intended to, but we're just going to go ahead and um, splitting up. There's a lot of different things that Paul talks about, but I'm just going to talk about two things today. And so and then next week we'll do part two and we'll just kind of continue to walk through it. But today I just want to take a look at two things because I want to take some time to really uh, maybe give you not only just an understanding from what Paul is saying, but how all of scripture points to this idea that there is a standard by which we who follow Jesus can measure the everyday rhythms of our lives to see whether or not God is making a difference in our life. And if you love and follow Jesus, don't you want God to be making a difference in your life? Don't you? Don't you? I do. I hope so. So the first thing is this. God shows us how to be people of truth. God shows us how to be people of truth. So if you're taking notes, that's that first thing there. And so let's just take a look at the rest of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. It says, therefore, having put away falsehood... Some of your translation says, you know, don't lie. It talks about lying. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for, really important word there, for we are members of one another. Now, uh, before I jump into like, the practical application of this verse, I think it's really, really important for us to, to realize that uh, Paul was talking to an audience who understood the character of God. And we've talked about this in Ephesians chapter 1 through 3, but real quickly, just to touch base back on this, this idea of truth in our current culture, truth is just you know it's relative, right? But when we speak of it in the Scripture, there is there are very clear expectations of what is truth. And so I just want to really quick reestablish for us, just in case we forgot, what is truth? Uh, when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, you place your faith in who the Scripture says He is, and what does the Scripture say He is? Well. John 14, 6 says this Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. No one can come to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth, no one. Okay? Later in John 16, verse 13, we are told that the Holy Spirit, you could. It's in your notes there, or you want to jot it down real quick. We're not going to go there. We're told that the Holy Spirit, which lives inside of every born-again follower of Jesus, we are told that the Holy Spirit is known as the spirit of, guess what? Truth. Oh my goodness, did you read my notes, Gary? (laughs) Right? And then again, in John 17, 17, we're told that the truth is the word of God, in the same way that Paul refers in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 to 14, that the truth is the gospel. Okay, so uh, real quick, we've established what truth is, right? It's Jesus. It's the story of the gospel. It's God's word, right? So we, 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 we're all on the same page of what the truth is. So the point that Paul is making is that when you have submitted your life to Christ, and you're a person who's committed to being truthful, To being like Christ, to representing His Word, to representing His Gospel, all these things, right? To, to representing, to, to living life in the Spirit, because the Spirit is truth, right? So, this is what this all means. It's very, it's, it's very complex, but it's also very simple and fight, like, finite. You can, you can quantify what it, this is what He means. When we look at the Scripture, so, you don't have to feel like, well, what does it mean by truth? You know, I don't know, like, you know, what, how about white lies? Well, now you're asking questions that are outside the paradigms of what Paul's trying to tell us about what it means to live in truth. So when you've submitted your life to Christ, then you're a person who's committed to being truthful because the very nature of who God is is demonstrated through Jesus and all of Scripture is that he is truth. So therefore, you are a person who puts away falsehood and lies because you believe in God who is truth, Jesus who is truth, the Holy Spirit we're living inside of you is truth. So so there's this idea of that, you know, therefore is a really big word because don't be mistaken. This passage is, is not about how you should not lie, okay? There is no theologian or Bible scholar that disagrees on the point, on this point that Paul is trying to make, and really, that it's not about not lying. Every prayer, you can look at all the commentaries, read all the stuff. They will all say this. This is not a passage of Scripture about why we should not lie. The main impetus, the main focus of what Paul is trying to say is, that, is, is, is not that God wants Christians to stop telling lies, but that he wants them to be people of truth. And so, and, you know, the question is, Then, where does this motivation come from? Like, where, does, where did the motivation to be people of truth come from? Well, one commentator says it like this. This verse does not say we should speak the truth because it is right or because God commands it. Though these may be true. Rather, in this verse, the rationale for truthfulness has to do with our membership in the body of Christ. Have you ever thought about that? That... The, the, the main driving force of truthfulness in your life doesn't come from a desire to be moral, but a desire to represent the body of Christ that you belong to. That might be a game changer. I mean, think about that. What calls forth honesty is the fact that we are connected to each other. The foundation for truthfulness among Christians is the reality of our openness in Christ, a unity forged by God through the cross and by the Spirit. <laughs> in other words, God makes the most difference in a person's life when that person embraces their identity and engages deeply in the spiritual family that God has made them a part of. The church, we sang about it today. I am a what? Child of God. And so if you're a child of God, that means you belong to a what? A family. And so it's not just the fact that God is your father that literally changes and makes a difference in your life, but it's the fact that you are no longer an alien, a stranger, you are no longer abandoned, but you are adopted, you are brought into the family of God. And so it's not just the reality that you're a child of God that makes the biggest difference in your life, but it's also the fact that you're part of the family of God. Or as another commentator says regarding the scripture, because each member belongs to the rest, the fellowship of the church will be marked by a, a life, how he says this, refreshing openness. You know, one of the benefits of connecting to a local church in a deeper way, you know, past the gatherings. I, I love our gatherings. I really love I love I love watching how we serve one another. I love seeing how we sacrificially show up so that we can not only uh, worship with each other, but, you know, maybe uh, connect with one another and then, and then really think about how God's leading us as a church by his word together. I love it. But past the gatherings and into the context of our mission communities, one of the things I love the most is that in our communities, we learn how to speak truthfully and speaking truthfully is more than just not lying, but living life more open and transparent. There's a refreshing openness about it. I mean, I, I, can't, I can't begin to describe how much personally I value the ability to be open and transparent with people that are part of our missional communities. In fact, uh, just in the past couple months, um, I know you think that there is no reason that Leona should ever be frustrated with me because I'm perfect. And, uh, but there are seasons, maybe years or decades of my life where I cause her much frustration. And, um, you know, we were in a place, uh, I'm being funny, but I, here's the truthfulness. You know, like a couple months ago, we were in a place in our relationship where we're just <laughs> not seeing eye to eye on things. Those of you who've been married for a while, you know what, the, you know what I mean, right? Like, it, just, like, it seems that there's a season, like, no matter what we do, we're just like, oh, we're not firing on the same cylinders. And I can't tell you, I cannot tell you how encouraging and how life-giving it was to be able to sit in a room with just a smaller number of guys, as we kind of do in our mission communities. we gather, and we're kind of split up, and... Um, and just to look at each and every one of them and go, you know, I know I'm like, some of you are your pastor, but like right now I just need to be your brother in Christ and I need to let you know we're, we're struggling and it stinks. Would you pray for me? And I cannot tell you the refreshing openness that you find in being in community with people. And as I begin to bare my heart, and these men begin to speak the gospel truth into my life, and then they begin to minister to me in prayer, I can't tell you the immense value that that brings to my life. And that's the difference that God makes. Another difference that uh, God makes is that God shows us how to reframe our emotions, reframe our emotions particular reframe our anger reframe our anger Ephesians 4 verse 26 be angry and do not sin be angry and do not sin now really quick we said this when we first started Ephesians when we talked about like the setting and everything uh Paul is writing this from where does anyone remember does anyone remember where Paul is writing this letter from what context is he writing from jail he's in prison okay um he has a lot of natural things to be angry about okay and if you know the story paul is unjustly imprisoned right and so here you go you have a man who by the world standards would be given a pass to 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 have unending anger and it's natural to get angry right because you can't help feeling angry when someone does something to you that you don't want. Right? And, and, and I, I, we've talked about this before. It, um, you know, a- anger says this. Anger says that you owe me. That's what anger looks like. Like, you owe me. You owe me a reputation. You spoiled my reputation and I'm mad at you. You you owe me a childhood. You, rip, you didn't give me the kind of childhood that I deserve and, and so I'm angry at you. You owed it to me to have treated me with love and not lust. You, you owed it to me to not have abused me. You owed it to me to have been there when the times got tough like you said you would. You owe it to me because of your unforgiveness or your bitterness to me or your cruel tongue or your selfish heart of your lack of compassion or insensitivity. It's very natural for us to get angry because why people at many times do things to us that causes us to say, You owe me. And I'm angry because you took something from me and you owe me now. You add to the list whatever you are angry about. Maybe he owed me love, and or she owes me respect. They promised they would do this, and I'm mad as heck, right? And so Paul knows this. He's in jail. <laughs> I'm sure he's upset. And so Paul doesn't say, don't be angry. Instead, he gives us a different standard, a different way to reframe our emotions, our anger. One Bible scholar communicates it this way. Many contemporary translations and commentators argue that the imperative, be angry, is a concession, not necessarily a command. In the Greek, literally, it says, be angry. It's, some of your translations will say, in your anger, do not sin. But literally, in the Greek, it just says, be angry. It almost sounds like a command. But most commentators argue that it's really an imperative, And That really means this, if you are angry, though you really shouldn't be, then don't sin. I think that's a very interesting way to reframe our anger. So the question is not, how do you feel when someone wrongs you? The question is, how do you respond? Because Paul doesn't say, don't feel anger, he simply reframes that anger and gives us a different perspective. In essence, he says, don't let your anger become a driving force in your behavior. It is necessary for Paul to write that because in our anger, we sometimes don't make the wisest decisions, do we? I mean, I've never heard someone say, I am so glad I was angry because all the things I have done in my anger have netted me all the positive things in my life. (laughs) I've never heard a baptism video (laughs) that says, you know, I came to Jesus and I just embraced my anger. And since then I've been so free. Like that's, I, you know, never heard that. And listen, we've all done something in our anger that we ended up regretting, right? I mean, do you remember the last time that you were, I mean, like you were angry, angry? Do you remember what you did when you were angry, angry? I'm sure you couldn't describe what you did when you were angry, angry as something That would typify the difference that God makes. And so what does Paul do? Well, Paul gives us some advice about this anger. Here's what he says. Be angry and do not sin. What does he say? Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now, very interesting phrase. When you are a follower of Christ, you're committed to not letting yesterday's anger bleed into today. And in the same way, not letting today's anger bleed in to tomorrow. In other words, Paul is saying that we should not carry our anger for a very long time. Or maybe to put it into the positive, we should carry our anger for as short a time as possible. Now, I've always heard it from married couples. And maybe maybe, you're, 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 uh, maybe you've heard this too. Maybe if you're like Corey and Jesse who are going to get married here soon or whatever if you have heard couples say this oh never go to what oh yeah. wow you all talked to the same old person i did that's awesome never go to bed angry and that's a great application to this verse but listen how many of y'all who have said that went to bed angry yeah yeah i did too me too way to way to raise it up quickly I see the spirit of truthfulness working through you already. Hallelujah. Let's just praise the Lord right now. Okay. okay. There are just some hurts that you cannot resolve before the sun goes down. Like I, I I just want to admit that. Because I think some of you might carry some guilt. Like you read this verse and like, well, the Bible says I'm not supposed to let that. And I don't think what Paul is saying is that, um, you know. <laughs> you need to get rid of the anger before 12 a.m. And think—I I think you'll be hard-pressed to find a theolo- theologian worth their salt who will tell you that that is literally what this scripture is teaching. The point is that Paul is trying to communicate is that we need to get rid of our anger as soon as possible. That's the principle. Does that make sense? We need to be the kind of people who recognize anger and then the first thing we say is not how can I express this, but how can I get rid of it? How can this be rid of my life as quick as possible? And, and here's why. And I'm going to say this and you know why. I'm going to say this and you already know this. It's because unresolved anger is destructive, right? Unresolved anger is destructive, This is why Paul says this, be angry, do not sin, do not let the sun go down in anger and give no opportunity to the devil. When you carry your anger with you longer than is needed, you give the enemy an opportunity to impact your heart and ultimately your life. The Greek word for opportunity is literally the word tapos, uh, a word that literally means place, place. Or portion or space marked off. Some of you, maybe you go hiking, you know, topographical map. That's where we get that idea. And so, catch this. In Paul's mind, there is a line you can cross with your anger wherein your desire to hold and express your anger, you literally mark off a section of your life and your heart and your mind you literally set out a stool and say, hey, devil, come on in. The water's fine. I mean, I don't know who puts a stool in the water, but you know what I'm saying. I'm, I'm mixing all the different phrases together. Anyways, forget it. But do you see what I'm saying? There is a line with your anger that you can cross where you literally open your life to the devil. And so when... What does the devil do when he comes in? Like, what is the devil's main goal in life? Well, 1 Peter 5.8 uh, says this. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to what? Devour. Unresolved anger leads to destruction. It always results in destruction. Now, maybe you don't believe in a devil, But here's what all of us know. Angry people have bad relationships. Angry people have bad relationships. We all know this. And unresolved anger has the potential to destroy relationships. If you don't know this, just Talk to someone who has to live with someone who is constantly angry. It destroys. It brings heartache. And remember, when someone hurts you, there's a sense that they owe you for what they have stolen from you. And since Paul understands this dynamic, he advises us to deal with it as quickly as possible so that we don't allow that kind of destruction in our life. Because the worst thing I can do is allow the sun to go down on a season of my life where I carry anger. Because when I do that, that open account, when I do that, I bring it into a new season of my life because when the sun sets on a season of life and you've not resolved your anger, once you move on to the next season of life, it is very easy to lose sight of the original source of your hurt. And when that happens... It's the relationships in this new season of life that feels the effects of it. These relationships in these new seasons cannot help you, though. That's the thing. They cannot help you close that account because that open account is not with them. And some of you understand this, right? Right? You know someone who has carried the baggage of their past hurts and brings anger from past hurts into a new relationship, and now they're putting the burden of solving their anger issues on who? You. But you can't solve it because it's not with you. Or maybe this is you. You find yourself in a season where you are just angry at everyone. And if you are honest with yourself, you look around and you're like, I shouldn't be angry. Well, maybe it's because you held on to your anger for too long. You opened the door for the devil to come in to destroy your life. And so now you have no ability to bring health and restoration into the future relationships of your life because of unresolved anger. Does that make sense? As my uh, university professor once said, and he was the president of my university, uh, I love this saying. He said, People don't get grumpy or angry as they get older. Old people who are grumpy and angry have always been that way. They were only nice so they could keep their jobs. (laughs) (laughs) So listen, how do we get past our anger? How do you move past the resentment? How do you deal with someone who you feel has wronged you or hurt you? How do we guard our heart against God dishonoring anger? Well, if we keep working down these verses, God tells us how. Paul gives us instruction. And I'll just give you a heads up. You're probably not going to like this part. Because there's no magic, there's no shortcuts, there's no mantra. Uh, It just looks like this. Ephesians 4. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Along with all malice... Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Paul basically says that God shows us the solution to our anger is forgiveness, forgiveness. And what if Paul is on to something? Like, what if you really could get rid of your anger and hurt and resentment? What if you really could get rid of those imaginary conversations and you could be around that person who hurt you without feeling like you wanted to drop kick him in the face? <laughs> like, what if? Paul says it's possible. And he tells us how. Forgive. Now, when you first hear this, it kind of looks like Paul's taking a bunch of happy pills, Don't be mean, be nice. Get along. And you're like, easy for you to say, Paul. You don't know that person. You don't know what they did to me. But what he's trying to do is remind us that God has shown us how to reframe our emotions. We don't have to allow our past to dictate our present or control our future. But here's the key. Forgiving one another. Most of us think we can't do this because we've bought into the false notion that forgiveness is an emotion, right? You know, like, I I can't forgive because I don't feel like forgiving. Well, (laughs) forgiveness is not an emotion. Forgiveness is a decision that you make. And that's the whole point of forgiveness. It goes against my natural feelings. Forgiveness is not something that we try to do. It's not even something that we give our best shot at. We either do it or we don't. Or as Yoda would say, there is no try. There is only do. Well, whatever, I can't do it. (laughs) right? There's no try. You either do it or you don't. It's a decision. It is a specific moment and specific action where we close the account on what someone owes us. I think that one of the reasons that we choose not to forgive is because we feel that if we forgive, we kind of let that person who hurt us off the hook Right, if we forgive them, then, then 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 they don't have to pay us back, and and it makes it too easy for them. And our sense of fairness tells us that people should pay back what they owe, and they should pay for what they do. Because after all, if they don't learn to, to if they don't learn it from me, they're going to go and hurt other people too, right? And so there's a sense inside of us that feels like, uh, well, it's a savior complex. Right? We we can save the whole world by making one other person pay who hurt us. And that's because we believe forgiveness is for the benefit of the offender. But actually, forgiveness is for the benefit of the uh, forgiver, of the offended. When we don't forgive, we get trapped by anger and bitterness and resentment, and it affects us way more And it affects the one who hurt us. Ask the many, 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 many people who are victims And the same story will be said. Why does the person who hurt me not feel as guilty to the extent that I feel hurt? When we don't forgive, the lens through which we see people becomes distorted. And we begin to view all our relationships through that lens. And so because God loves us and God wants us to have restored, healthy relationships, he says, listen, you got to make a choice to forgive. Paul, who writes here, says you've got to forgive. And because Paul knows that we are fighting our own internal sense of fairness on this when he finished these verses with a little context, just in case we might want to say, like, I understand what you're saying, but it's not that easy. It's not that easy. Paul tells us that we forgive because we are forgiven. Look at that last part of the verse. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as what? God in Christ forgave you. Follower of Christ. <laughs> Christian believer. Let me ask you a question. Do you remember when you had an open account with God? Do you remember when you had hurt, betrayed, and disappointed God with your life decisions? Do you remember that? And do you remember how Jesus canceled your debt when he died? On the cross and rose from the dead. That is the context for extending forgiveness to others. This is the context for reframing our emotions. And you will never find the motivation to forgive based on the person who hurts you, I promise. You will never find the motivation to forgive based on the person who hurt you. You will only find it when you focus on the person who has forgiven you. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 6. If you forgive those who sinned against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. I get it. <laughs> like living life this way, the truthfulness part, maybe that's a little easier. But for some of you, it's hard Like to be open and truthful to other people. It's not just not telling lies. It's this idea of living a transparent life. In community with other people. And that's tough. You're you're busy and you know you're trying to be transparent with your spouse, and now you gotta be transparent to these people you don't even know. And you know, like all oh, this community. Well, there's like people I don't even know, like there's these boomers, and they don't even understand my life, or all these millennials and I don't understand my life, or you know, all these people who are single, I don't understand my life, and they can I can't be open with them because they'll never understand, or like all these married people, they don't understand. There's been a long time since they've been single, they don't understand what it's like to, to be in want of relationship, and you're married, and at least you have someone you can be mad with. I don't even have when I could be mad with. I'm just mad at myself. I feel like, and so we resist and it feels really hard to do this life of truthfulness that's breathed and that's motivated from a life deeply engaged in community. I get it. I get it that it's pretty extreme to view our anger as an opportunity for forgiveness instead of an opportunity for payback. <laughs> and there are many factors that oppose living life this way. Our culture our comfort our desire for happiness our desire to express our emotions freely without fear or shame right that seems to be like the current trend like oh just share your feelings without fear or shame you know what sometimes my feelings I should be afraid really to express those I really should And I should feel ashamed. And living life like this is not popular. I get it. It's not normal. I get it. it's definitely not easy. I get it. But listen. Hey. Here's what we know. With God, all things are possible. All things are possible. And this is the difference that God makes.